Glad to be here, and uh, we're going we're gonna to open up God's Word this morning, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 2. Um, before we get there, um, uh, many of you don't know, I, I mean, I grew up, or maybe will know, I grew up just outside of Saskatoon, uh, in, in Dalmany, and uh, started in Saskatoon, and then moved out there, and uh, did all of my schooling, most of my schooling, elementary and high school, and a little bit more beyond, but uh, uh, I was one who never really liked school. Um, Oh, by the way, we got a, oh, wow, that's a Patriots jersey we got going on here. <laughs> You're pretty proud of that? I'm, I'm all for that. that. By the way, that's all good. Um, but anyways, I'm a little ADD at times, so I'm, I get distracted. But anyway, so grew up in Dalmany, didn't like school. I, I don't know, anybody, I, I just didn't. I didn't like elementary school. I didn't like uh, middle school, junior high, high school. Didn't like it, didn't like it, didn't like it. Uh, I, I was accused for daydreaming quite often, Okay. Uh, I, I loved to daydream in school, and, uh, and so it was just very difficult. So by the time I got to middle school, uh, junior high, um, things weren't going well for me. And, uh, and so uh, I failed grade 8. Uh, and so that, that wasn't fun, but, you know, I had fun in grade 8 at times, but not the fun that actually gives me a, a passing grade. And as time went on, and then, you know, things kind of progressed from there, and there was a great understanding that I had with teachers, and I'm sure there are many, many teachers here, uh, but uh, I didn't get along with teachers very well, and they didn't get along with me, you know, and so things happened. And on uh, numerous occasions, uh, uh, I would get kicked out of class, you know, for various reasons, some which I, to this day, I don't understand, but uh, made my way into the principal's office on more than one occasion, okay? And uh, so as I um, was in class, this is grade 10, I remember I'd gotten kicked out of geography class, of all things. It's all maps. I mean, I don't know what the heck's going on there, but it's all maps. And apparently I didn't put them right way correctly or something. I don't know. But anyway, so I'm sitting across from the principal. Him behind his desk, me on the other side. Uh, we did not see eye to eye on numerous times, and I'd been in there too many times, according to him. And um, I'll never forget what he said. Actually, it changed my life. He looked across his desk. I'm sitting at a chair. He's looking right at me. He was angry at me. And he looked at me and he wagged his finger at me and he said, Friesen, you're a loser. You'll always be a loser. Wow, I thought. Stood up, walked out of that principal's office and out the door and never returned. I was done. Done. Done with school, that was it. Through a miracle, I actually landed up going back to school in Langham and sort of finishing grade 12. You're looking at a high school dropout, okay? I shouldn't be standing right here. I shouldn't be. You know, a lot of us live with labels. I was labeled that day loser. Loser. What will I do for the rest of my life? I'm just a loser. And so you can have a label here today, to be honest. You can be separated, divorced, be widowed, single, unemployed, you know, economically on the wrong side of the ledger. You could have a criminal record. There could be any type of label that you're living with today, some of which we choose, some of which is handed to us. We have no choice. 
So whatever that label is, whatever you're looking at in your world, if you were to look in the mirror and say, what's my label? What's my label? We all deal with that. And so today, this morning, we want to look at someone who was labeled big time in Scripture. Joshua chapter 2. It is kind of a standalone story in the book of Joshua, which obviously gives us a chance to watch the Israelites move from slavery, from, from the Egypt and the, the years of wandering in the desert to finally cross the river Jordan into the promised land that God had given them. So, but in the midst of all of that, there's this story of Rahab, the unlikely recipient, a harlot, a prostitute. Are you kidding me, God? Are you serious? Like, what, what has she got to do with any of all of this? So we're going to look at this story, and so we're going to read it as quickly as we can and, and move through this. And there's a number of things here that I think are, are going to speak right into our lives because I think that we all are sometimes taken back by, why do I have this label? Or what is my label? How can I get past that? And so we want to look at, at this through uh, Joshua chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles here, we're going to read this. And uh, it's a good story, and so we're going to take our time just to read it there. So it says, in Joshua chapter 2, and I've got to use these glasses. That was probably different since the last time I was here as well. But it says, in verse 1, And Joshua, the son of Nun, that does not mean he did not have parents, okay? It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, had two men, sent two men secretly from Shittim, as spies saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho said to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all of the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them and said, True, these men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, she says, for you will overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of the flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the, uh, as far as the fords. That's not the Chevs, that's the fords. It's not the Dodges. Okay, just the fords are out there. I don't get it. And the gate was shut on them as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them and said to them, and see, this is where it gets, gets really interesting. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that in all the inhabitants of the land melt, they melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you and and he came out of Egypt, and when he went out into the two kings of the Amorites, and who were beyond the Jordan to Zion and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, we, we, in our hearts were, were melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I have dealt kindly with you also, that you will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our lives for your lives, even to death. 
you do not tell this business of ours that when, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by the rope through the windows for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go to the hill or the pursuers will come out and encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to the oath of yours that you have made with their, with, uh, and, and sworn. Behold, when we come into the land and you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if it is hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be with guiltless, be guiltless and with respect to our oath to you, and have no have us to swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and departed, and she tied the scarlet cord to the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills, passed over, and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told of all that had happened to them, and they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Great story. A story that is not only depicted in the Old Testament, but is obviously referenced in the New Testament as well. This woman of great courageous faith. Someone who is so unlikely that God would use. So we want to spend some time this morning there. But let's back it up a little bit. Israelites had been on a journey. They were in captivity and uh, so had spent a lot of time in the desert. If you back it up before that to Genesis chapter 12, and where God promised Abraham three things, okay? So when he declared and promised and made a covenant with Abraham, he said uh, three things there. He said he would give him the land of Canaan, the promised land. Number two, he would multiply his descendants also in Canaan. And then thirdly, God would make Abraham a spiritual blessing to the entire world. Well, Fast forward 685 years and you're right at the River Jordan now with the nation of Israel about to step into Canaan. Joshua 2 is the completion of the promise in Genesis chapter 12 where God now reveals his love and his omnipotent power to the Canaanites. And a chance for people to ask for redemption to the God Almighty. And this is where Rahab steps in. So here we have it. Joshua sends these two spies. Now if you go back into Numbers chapter 13, and you see the last time the Israelites, have been Moses sending out the spies, Joshua was one of them, and Caleb, 12 of them, one from each tribe, sent over to spy. While they came back, 10 gave a bad report. Two gave a good report. And when you look into Numbers chapter 13, things did not go well for Joshua. They didn't go well for Caleb. And what happened to the people? They were frightened. Absolutely terrified. The ten said, we are like grasshoppers to these giants. We are going to get destroyed. Joshua and Caleb do their best to say, no, 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 no. That's not how it is. God has given this to us. Didn't work. Well, God got angry. 
And what should have been a nine to ten day journey through the desert lasted 40 years. 40 years. You see what fear does? Fear makes us scared. It scares us and then we do crazy things. And I don't know about you, but these people, they grumbled and they complained. And I, I would imagine that all of us get a chance to grumble and complain. When I don't get my way, I grumble. When I don't get my way, I complain. All right? So there's been a lot of grumbling going on in my world lately, okay? I'm, I'm a Packer fan, okay? And I mean, it's been a rough couple weeks if you're a Packer fan. I'm not only a Packer fan, I'm a Leaf fan, Okay? I know, I know, a little bit of love here would be okay. It's been a tough, tough go here. So what happens when your teams don't win? We grumble, we complain, we point fingers. It's the refs, it's the bad decisions, it's all of this. But we complain, 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 complain. That's how we live. And so what happened to these Israelites? Did they not see God part the Red Sea? Did they not see all of the provision of manna? And of quail, didn't these Israelites see that how God destroyed the enemies before them? Could they not believe that God said, I will give you Canaan? I will give you the promised land? No, they chose to not believe. They chose to grumble and complain. And it cost them an entire generation. Well, now Joshua sends out two spies in secret. He says, go check it out. And so here we have it in, in, in Joshua chapter 2. These two spies, they cross the, the river Jordan, you know, and they're about, only about six or seven miles away from Jericho. And Jericho is a walled city. It's a double-walled city. Uh, how many acres on this property? How many acres? Nine or ten? Ten acres is what Jericho is, okay? Ten acres. Two walls on there. Probably about 2,000 people living in there. It is a heavily fortified city. You couldn't conquer this thing. One gate in, one gate out. That's it. So the two spies cross the Jordan, make their way into this heaven, and these people, they know something's happening. They've heard some things. So there's three things I want to share with you here today. And this, the city of Jericho that was about to go down was, uh, uh, you know, it's a city that was self-absorbed, that was self-sufficient. It was an immoral city. It was a Canaanite city. It had multiple gods. The culture was as far from God as you could ever, ever, ever imagine. God says, Joshua, send these two spies in. Let's check it out. Number one, faith moves us from ruin to redemption. Faith moves us from ruin to redemption. So we're going to look at Rahab here and these two spies as they travel through, land up at a prostitute's house. Likely her house was, Scripture tells us, right on the wall. And a prostitute's house probably would have been near the gate. It would have been where travelers would come and go because that was her clientele. And so these two spies, you know, fearful, scared, or whatever, they landed right there in a prostitute's house. Probably would have had some explaining to do when they got home, I'm sure. But see, Rahab is a picture of a doomed nation. Desperately wicked, immoral, far from God. Rahab's condition is, is a picture of mankind that is lost. These people don't know God. You've just gone two weeks of having your missions conference that is, was centrally uh, purposed here in Saskatoon. You know you live in a city where many do not know Christ. Where many do not follow Christ. 
And there's places and opportunities for people to come, to worship, to learn, to grow in, in a closer relationship with God. It's here. Rahab represents all of that. But in verse 9, as she meets these two, uh, these two spies that come in, she recognizes things. She says, I know the Lord has given you the land. She says, I know that fear has gripped everyone. I know what happened at the Red Sea, she says. I know about the battle of the Amorites against Og and Zion. I'm thinking, okay, how, how does she know this? There's no CNN. You know, there's no, there's no tabloid that she could read about this. She's hearing this from, from people that are coming in and out of the city. It could be her clientele saying, have you heard about the Israelites? No, tell me more. You know what? That God parted the Red Sea for this, this million people just to walk across. And then not only that, but they, they, they gave them Zion, and they gave them Og, and, and, and the provisions, and these people are starting to be afraid. Rahab says, I know. She's looking at herself. Here's a woman. And in those day and ages, a woman had very little use in society other than to be married and have kids it was a long time ago but that's exactly how they viewed women so she had a lot of things going against her a woman she was canaanite hated among the nations she was a prostitute who trusts a prostitute but this is exactly who god chose for these spies to land at her doorstep what does she say i know i know interesting Hebrews 11.31, the author speaks of Rahab. By faith, it says, Rahab did what? The prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She saw this as an opportunity. You're Israelites? You belong to that great nation that is coming this way that will destroy us? We don't know your God. But she says, I want to know. I know. I know, she says. Well, why is this significant? It's because Rev reminds us that many people seem to become an unlikely recipient of God's grace, God's kindness. God's no-limit love is often sabotaged by our short-sightedness or intercepted by that. Our unacceptableness to God is at risk. And so here we have Rahab, all these things going against her. She's labeled. She is not worth it. And yet at the same time, the moment those spies get into Jericho, into her house where she lives on the wall, the king knows it. The Jericho police are there and they're saying, Rahab, we've heard. And then all of a sudden she goes into this long dialogue about how she hasn't done anything. And she lies. She lies knowing full well that she could be put to death instantaneously for housing these spies. She put her life at risk. She put her life at risk and on the line so that she might follow Yahweh. See, there comes a time when we need to shed the label. We need to shed the label and say, God, you're in charge. Chances are, if you and I could sit down and have a cup of coffee, just you and me talking, whoever you are, and we're sitting across from him, if I asked you the question, 
If I ask you the question, has life always worked out the way you thought it would be? Young or old, I'm guessing that you'd say, no, it hasn't. Are there things that have happened in your life that you do not understand? Yep, absolutely. Here's Rahab in this same thing. God, look at my life. I'm a wreck, a train wreck. Do you see what I've done? And yet God spoke to her. God says, you are worth it. You're worth it. And this is a promise out of Genesis chapter 12 that God said, through Abraham, it will bless the entire world. A chance to follow Yahweh. To give your life to Yahweh. You see, that's where this is coming from. Faith moves us from ruin to redemption. She thought this through. I will risk my life not only to save me, but my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, and everyone who belongs. It wasn't about selfish Rahab, was it? It was this, my family needs Jesus. My family needs God. And you live in this world too where you, your friends, the people you work with, your own family, your own brothers, sisters who don't know God, and yet we know that their God is a redemptive God, and he's calling us to come to him. Come to him. And so Rahab did that. And so we understand that I, I, I'm ruined. I'm a ruined person. I'm ruined by the fall. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I make mistakes. I'm a hypocrite. I'm someone who's failed. But I know that God loves me. And that God has got us in the palm of his hand. He's saying, I can use you. I can use you. But you see, if we listen to the world, we'll lose God in this. There's a lot of people barking at Rahab, I'm sure. Saying, what are you doing with these people? Get rid of them. You know, don't be associated with them. That's trouble. She saw trouble as an opportunity. To get to God. So faith moves us from ruin to redemption. Secondly, faith works in our lives for God's glory, His story. What an opportunity here. Rahab declares the Israelite God. In verse 11, she says, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven and on earth beneath. You can know and do nothing, or you can know and believe. And act like Rahab. There's a lot of people, and you'll know that. Maybe you've got conversations with people who say, Oh, I know God. I, I, I know God. I know God. There's a lot of people who know God. This entire country of Canaan, they knew about Israel. They knew what God had done. They were in fear. They were in trembling. Their spirits were crushed. They knew that destruction was coming. They knew, but did nothing. There was an opportunity for Jericho to be like Nineveh. There really was. God was, would be hoping that this entire country would bow their knees and their hearts to Yahweh. Canaan was a multicultural sort of God-activated zone. I mean, they had a God's multiple, multiple, multiple gods. And for Rahab to declare that, what did she say? That for the Lord your God, he is God. One God. One God. Totally foreign to that totally foreign to the Canaanites. They had multiple gods. She says, no, 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 no. There's but one God. Faith and works. So what did she do? So it's not just enough to know. 
it's something that we have to deal with. So you can know God and still not know God. So here's what she does. Her belief is in a deal that she brokered with the spies. She asked these spies, basically, my life and my family's life for your life. It was, this was dangerous. The word that is used here in the Hebrew is the hesed. It means kindness. Show me kindness, and I will show you kindness. It's a loyalty love. It's a covenant loyalty. It's a faithfulness that she expressed to Yahweh, knowing her, or knowing she would be knowing, saying, I, I, this is my God, this is my God. I am forgetting all of this other stuff. You see, faith and works in our lives for God's glory. See, this is a picture of God's mercy in a prostitute's house. This is judgment, mercy, and deliverance, knocking at Rahab's door and saying, I'm here, I'm here. What an opportunity. What was her response? It's an acknowledgement, it's acceptance, it's allegiance, and it's abandonment. She abandoned all that she had known and grown up with. Saskatoon is becoming a multicultural city. You know that you work with many different people from many different nations and all over the world, and they come with different beliefs and all of that, and so we know that we have an opportunity that sits right before us. And this is Rahab. A story of Rahab saying, you know what? It is that. It is that. See, salvation comes through faith and faith alone. We know that in Ephesians chapter 2. You know, for by grace you are saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. So for me to understand that faith comes through salvation only, or salvation comes through faith only in Christ, yes, I know that. And that's my opportunity to live in the promised land. That's heaven. But faith is supposed to be worked out here. What good is it to have a faith that only gets me to heaven if my works do nothing? See, her works did something. See, that's what it says in James chapter, in James chapter 2 when she goes through this. He says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works? Were justified, means declared righteous. When she received the spies and messengers and sent them another way. And then verse 26, for just as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith from apart works is dead. See, you have to have a faith in order to have works. Does your faith represent works today? Because see, I have a faith that allows me to know without a shadow of a doubt that if I were to die today, I would enter into eternity with Christ. My works are meant to be down here below. My faith is supposed to change me. I'm supposed to do something with my faith in Christ. It's not meant to just be a solar thing that just says, I, I, I'm in on my own. No, we are supposed to be messengers. We are supposed to be people that, of the gospel to bear the good news everywhere we go that our works would do that. Our works recognize our faith. Is that a part of what we do today? And that's where we need to be. Does your faith do that? I live in a, at the college where... Um, where we are at, there's an opportunity for us to uh, uh, we'd step into a classroom and all of our lights in the classroom have a chance to, uh, it's dark, and so when you open up the door, the lights don't go on. There are motion sensors, so the moment I step into the classroom, the lights go on. If I were to stay outside, the lights would stay off because I don't move. Our faith needs to move. Our faith needs to move. Thirdly, 
faith, sovereignty, and grace. Quickly. It's a scarlet cord that she lets down. Scarlet cord that represents what? The blood of Christ. That's her way of escape. We're going to have a moment here. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table. Faith, sovereignty, and grace. Our faith in Christ. God's in control of sovereignty. The unrecipient, the unlikely recipient that I am is God's grace. That's who God gives us. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. That's what this is about. Rahab got it. That scarlet cord, that was her way out. Please. And as you go into Joshua chapter 6, they marched around, boom, that house stood. Everything else went bad. That house stood. And then Rahab becomes what? Rahab becomes what? She's in the genealogy of Christ. She's the great-great-grandmother of David, mother-in-law to Naomi. Matthew chapter 1, she's right there. You are not an unlikely recipient of God's grace. You are a recipient of God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful today for a chance to be at Forest Grove. Thank you for these awesome people. May you bless them, may you anoint them, may you use them mightily in this city and far beyond. Thank you for Bruce and his team. May you work mighty things through them. Thank you for the opportunity to be at the Lord's table today. We ask for this, Lord, that you would make us courageous in our faith as Rahab stepped out in faith knowing that she could change her life, that you would work deeply in her. So bless her and encourage, her to, encourage us today to look at that story and say, yes, I'm in, I'm in. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.